Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light right here on Giants.com. I am John Schmelk. The man to my left is Paul Dottino, and the phone number for you is 201-939-4513. Every year we do our bold predictions show, folks, and this is going to be it. You want to give us bold predictions on the 53 or during the regular season, you can. And we make you do it now because they're supposed to be bold. So we want you to have at least as little information as possible. So give (laughs) us a call uh, before the first preseason game. Give us some of your bold predictions for the season, for the final 53. Whatever you got, we will talk about it right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And as we get further in, if you have a one-off call over another show, you want to throw me a bold prediction, that's fine. We'll put them up on our board to my right here, much like we did the last couple years. At the end of the year, we will read some of those bold predictions and see which one of us were smart and which one of us were stupid. You really want to go there? <laughs> how, how about uh, which one of us misfired? How okay, about that's that? fine. Which one of us had good <laughs> foresight and which ones of us could not see the forest from the tree? There you so, go. Get on the line. Give us a call. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. I'll get to your tweets with those bold predictions as well. But before we get to all that, let's discuss uh, some of the news of the day, Paul. And we had to go back to practice yesterday. And then we had a chance to speak to Pat Shermer and offensive coordinator Mike Shula today. And I think as much as it's been a news all offseason, I think we've tried to kind of avoid focusing them on so far in camp. But I think it's time is is the quarterback position. And Mike Shula was effusive of his praise on Daniel Jones today. He was even more effusive on his praise of Eli Manning on how good he's looked. And just give me your take on what you heard from Shula today. And, of course, we go back to yesterday. Maybe the best throw we've seen all summer from any of the quarterbacks. Daniel Jones had a great deep pass to Paul Perkins down the left sideline, ran by uh, Jonathan Anderson, the linebacker. Perfect pass on the sideline over the outside shoulder. No one could get it but Perkins. Didn't have to break stride. 50-yard touchdown. And the coaches seem quite happy with what their quarterbacks have done so far in practice. Well, the the two guys have really uh, brought forth a lot of accolades for two different reasons. Eli, because of his arm strength and the way he's zipping the ball, also appears to be a lot more accurate as well because he does have more mustard and more spin on the ball. Mostly in short and intermediate stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's the take on the veteran. The take on the rookie is that uh, he's picking things up much quicker than maybe some would have anticipated. He throws a much better deep ball than most people have anticipated, although the Giants say that they knew all along he could throw it, so it's not a surprise Mm -hmm. to them. But the critics certainly are are quite surprised to this point. And I think the other thing about Daniel Jones that the Giants really like so far, and it was talked about today, uh, he doesn't seem to repeat his mistakes. He's real good about finding out what's wrong, admitting that he did it, fixing it, and the next day when they come back, he's on track. And they really like that because, let's face it, uh, the fewer times he repeats a mistake, it means his development is going uh, in an accelerated fashion. And even accelerated rookies and good rookies, Paul, are going to make mistakes. Sure. And I want to be very clear about that, too, because I don't want to raise the expectation level to where if he doesn't come in right away and is really good on his first, you know, game action, regular season, preseason, even not even good in his first season. You know, you look at the quarterbacks last year, Baker Mayfield had an excellent regular season. He, he had a better year one than most rookie quarterbacks do, right? But, you know, a guy like Sam Darnold, he didn't have a good first year. None of the other rookie quarterbacks had a good first year. They did not. That's generally how it goes. It doesn't mean you're not going to have a good career. Eli Manning's first season with the Giants stunk. He stunk up the joint. Yep. So... 
I don't want to do that. However, from what everything players are saying, coaches are saying, while Jones still makes rookie mistakes and is learning things like a rookie, I mentioned in my practice report yesterday, while he had the great deep pass, he completed a bunch of other throws, but on some of them, for example, he would have been sacked on them. And I thought it was interesting a couple days ago, Daniel Jones, when he spoke to the media, two things I thought was interesting was when he talked about how his biggest challenge right now is how the defense is throwing more and more looks at him and looks that he hasn't seen before. Right. And the challenge is for him is to continue to play fast and to get through his progressions quickly, recognize quickly so he can make the right decision with the football. And I think you're seeing that on some plays where maybe he has to take an extra beat or two to know what he's looking at before he delivers the ball. That's something that's going to happen to all rookies and frankly even happens to a lot of veterans after they've been in the league for a long time. When you have a defense like James Betcher, that gives you a variety of looks. So that's not a concern, but it is part of the developmental process for someone like Jones. So while he's throwing a lot, I think, really, really great deep balls on the short intermediate stuff, when you're dealing with different coverages, defensive guys moving around, bet you're trying to disguise things, that's when he's probably still trying to figure out how to play as fast as he would like to during these practices. I can even take that another layer, John, because the thing that I've seen sprinkled throughout his summer camp is that as a professional quarterback, your window to throw a ball in closes a lot quicker than it does in college. Wow. The window is smaller to begin with, and then it closes a lot faster. Mm -hmm. And along exactly what you said to take it to that next step is I have seen him have trouble with the fast-closing window. We saw that play two practices ago inside. He tried to throw that crossing pattern to Russell Shepard, yes. and the safety came down a little bit. The pass was a little bit behind, too. Safety came down. I think it was Kenny Lattler on the play, if it I'm not mistaken. Ladler. It was not, Who's had a couple of really good practices, by the way, and yes. knocked the ball away from behind. I know exactly the type of play you're talking about. And I've seen that sprinkled in throughout his practice sessions where – he maybe has been a millisecond behind in releasing the ball and getting it to where it's got to go. And by the time it gets there, the DB has had a chance to recover, and consequently they're knocking the ball away. And that's okay. Pat Shermer just said last He's week. He's a rookie. You expect that sort of, course, of stuff. Of course. Of course. Look, here's the thing. Excuse me. He's played for four years at the NCAA level. Started for three. He was okay. redshirted a year. Correct but practiced and played yeah, sure. uh -huh. for four years at the mm -hmm. NCAA level. So we're all creatures of habit. And he has an internal time clock that indicates to him, okay, there's the window, that's the size of the window, and this is how long the window's going to be open. It's going to take him a tremendous amount of snaps before his time clock internally adjusts to the new size of the window, which is smaller, and how quick that window closes. That's just the nature of the game. And by the way, it'll be a further adjustment when he gets into games. No because question. while NFL practices, especially in pads and in the, in the summer, are faster than the practices in the spring, that's faster than what he did in college. You know what's faster than all that stuff? Games. Yes. So it's going to be another, especially with them with the live pass rush coming at him. Yes. Can he navigate that live pass rush? Guys yes. trying to kill him and read the defense and make that decision quickly and not like what you said. The way I called it was you say millisecond, I say take a beat. He takes that extra beat where he's like, Fine. I see it. Now I'm sure. Now I throw it. You might see him pat the ball an extra time, something like that.
before he gets rid of the ball. So these are the kinds of realistic uh, hurdles that a rookie is going to have to go through at this stage of his career. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. These are not blemishes. These are not warts. These are not empty boxes that aren't checked. These are things that are expected and almost required as you learn and gain experience to become an NFL quarterback. Phil Simms was here yesterday, John. We both had a good chance to talk to him after practice. Phil glowed and raved about Daniel Jones. He wasn't just impressed. He was ultra impressed with how Daniel not only threw the ball, but how he appeared to have command of the offense. So that's where we stand. I, I, I stick with everything I've said to this point. He has checked all of the boxes at this early stage of his career. Now, what we may differ on, and I don't think you and I do, but maybe some outside people who want to be very critical, we could differ on, well, what is par for the course at this stage of a young rookie's career? Well, to this point, and I'll steal a golf term. I don't like golf, but I'll steal a golf term. He has not fired any bogeys, okay? He is par for the course. He's checked every box. And the things that we have just talked about that are part of the learning process are just normal. And so he has yet to fail, and that's a good thing. Yeah, and of course, like we've said a million times, none of this matters because we've seen great guys in practice that get into games and it all falls Correct. apart. Correct. So, this is just based on what we've seen so far, which is encouraging. Let's and say we'll this, see how happens when he gets on the field. The stuff that we just said, when fans get a chance either to come out to practice or if they get a chance to watch the preseason games. We know Daniel Jones will take some preseason snaps. We don't know exactly when or how many, he'll but he take, will. He'll take plenty. Okay? Think about the stuff that we just said and watch for that. And, and those will be the things that he will have to develop and polish as he grows as a professional player. And it will take time. It will take time. And that's why, usually, if you can, have the luxury of holding back a rookie quarterback for a year or two, you do it. 201-939-4513. Remember, folks, this is the show. Get in your bold predictions for the season. Something you want to get on paper, I write it down. I put it on the board. Then after the year, we'll go through the bold predictions, see who was right and who was wrong. And again, I'll take them in at hashtag Giants chat as well. Make sure you get in and get us your bold predictions. I, I don't want to say goodbye to this until we talk about what else happened media vows real quickly today, Paul. One, yeah. there are also a few of Eli Manning in terms of how he's throwing the ball. And I think his anticipation on those short routes and getting the ball to guys on time is strong. And that's something that Daniel Jones is working on. I think Eli is there 16 already. 16 years, John. He has, <laughs> correct. He, now, he has not completed nearly as many deep throws as Jones has because he hasn't attempted as many deep throws true. as Jones has. So it's just kind of interesting how you see the difference in how the two have approached it so far. A couple of the notes in the last few days, I thought the offensive line stuff, Yesterday was very interesting. I'm sure you and Lance talked a lot about yes. that yesterday, how Hunter's effusive prey for Kevin Zeitler. Yep. I caught up on the side with some of the offensive linemen who had a nice, lot of good things to say about Dexter Lawrence. That encouraged me. Yes. Um, so that that's kind of where we are. Anything else jump out for you? You were out there for Betcher. I had to leave early to make sure the show got set up. Right. Anything else from Betcher? And Barkley spoke today, too. I was talking to Mike Shula when Barkley spoke. So anything from Betcher? or Barkley, or anything else we missed from Shuler or Shermer that you think today was significant? There was nothing particularly new from Betcher that we haven't already discussed in terms of the development of guys like Carter 
and obviously the uh, the brotherly type of conduct that uh, Janoris Jenkins has taken on with all these young defensive backs. Uh, he also talked about Dexter Lawrence uh, being so impressive and versatile and getting after it. So the, these are things. Uh, he talked about Ogletree uh, and and how you know he's always ready to go and prepares and, and is a smart guy and does everything you want and tangible wise. Those are all the kinds of things that we've discussed basically for months. The one new item that came actually originated from the mouth of Saquon Barkley. Barkley explained to us that he is so grateful that he has learned things from Kevin Zeitler. And this was interesting because the question came into play, how is it different for a running back when you go into a season knowing that you're going to have basically a a grizzled offensive line in front of you, a line full of established guys who know what they're doing, who are comfortable with what they're doing, and have a great understanding for the game. How does that affect you as a running back? And Barkley immediately, without hesitation, went right to Kevin Zeitler and said, he wouldn't get into the details, but said, there's stuff he's telling me all the time that I had no idea about. Brand new things that I haven't seen, that I didn't know about, that 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 nobody else had discussed with me. Now, this is a guard. This is not a running back or a quarterback talking to Barkley. This is a guard telling his running back Stuff that he could use to his advantage now that he's in his second year as a pro. Again, he wouldn't divulge the secrets, but I found that to be very enlightening. One thing from Betcher before I had to run that I thought was interesting. In the way they teach his defense, he said he needs his players to know the scheme, their responsibility on the play, but that's not good enough for him. He needs his players to understand why they're running those schemes against certain defenses, what they should be effective in stopping, but more importantly, what their weaknesses are. So while they're playing their scheme and their responsibility, they'll understand how offenses are trying to attack that scheme, which will inform exactly how they play on those individual plays. I thought that was very interesting, and he thought that the players are doing a better job taking to that this year, and it should help them on the field. I, th- I, th- I thought that was fascinating. You understand why that's significant. He, he, he talked to, to, to about this originally when he got here and then kind of got away from that, and now he brought it up again today. The reason that that holds a lot of water is that Betcher is very much, very much, when he has the opportunity and the tools to do so, reliant upon versatility and changing things up. He wants guys out there on the field who know all the stuff behind the game plan because he's constantly going to be switching their roles during the course of the game. Yep, He's going to be switching them during series. He's going to be switching them sometimes on a play-by-play basis because what he wants to do is give you those amoeba looks where offensive coordinators and quarterbacks don't know what's coming. He wants them guessing all the time. John, the only way to do that is to have defensive guys on the field who have a complete understanding of what the mission is, why they're doing it, how they're going to do it, and how the guy next to him is going to be doing it because guess what? On the next play, you might have his responsibilities and he might have yours. All right, ready to take some calls? Get some bold predictions? Let's go. I got my pen and my pad. Let's do this. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. It's all presented by Coors Light. Joe in Pennsylvania will lead us off today. Hello, Joe. Hey, hi, John, Paul there. Uh, How are you? 
Good, good there, you know what I mean? Uh, but being realistic uh, with your uh, making your bold predictions, you know, uh, if if we get to 8-8, eight and eight, I'd have to say, you know what I mean, it, you know, that could be a really uh, a, a good season, especially if we're in the game with the, the Cowboys and the Eagles who – you know, we, we, we're taking a step getting better, and we have a lot of young potential, but but the, the depth on them teams and being more of a veteran team, you know what I mean? We may have fell behind this year. Would you think on that or no? Because I seen yesterday in some polls uh, someone were taking they had the Eagles' offensive line and their receivers rated number one in the NFL, you know? So um, that – that's where I'm at, you know what I mean, being realistic. I, you know, if you want to make a prediction, you know, eight and eight, and I know how you you and Paul were saying, and especially you, John, saying, we got to get out off to at least uh, uh, minimum you know, two and two. Two and two minimum. in the first four games. And, you know, where, you know, our big concern was our defense and our offensive line, and now I think we have to throw the receivers in there a little bit, you know. And um, and looking ahead, I'm just saying, like, with the Eagles team here, if Fuse would answer, would you think, you know, them and the Cowboys, I'm not sure how we played their uh, their, their real fast wide receiver. What's his name from the Cowboys? Cooper? Did we, did we have to play Amari somebody Cooper. over the top yeah. all the time on him? You know, I, I don't think you have to double him or put a guy over the top on every play. I think with a guy like Jenkins, you can have him out there on an island from time to time. I don't think you want to live that way because he's a really good player, but I don't think you need to assign somebody to him all game. Yeah, now with the Eagles, they have Jackson back again. And just, you know, I hear a lot of their talk, you know, that he's a, as fast as ever, they're saying, you know. He'll and always they have be fast. Jeffries and... Uh, uh, I forget the other young guy they have that's pretty fast, doing pretty good, and then you got Ertz. So you know, what I mean, they they really do have some good receivers there, you know. So uh, I appreciate it, Joe. Uh, yeah, they're going to be tough. I just want to mention one thing, like with the Eli thing too. Here, saying you know, uh, I think he'll be our quarterback this year. But if we go eight and eight and hear like Phil Simms the way he's talking. You know, Daniel Jones is doing good and everything. Really, I, I think our general managers and our coaching staff next year, you know, if, if he's pretty well up the par, you know, and then it would have to get Eli in there. You know, do you want to play another year, and do we want to give him the money, or do we want to use it on something else that can um, help our team win more games instead of and going with Daniel Jones? You understand what I'm saying there? There are a lot they of factors and variables that's involved. What I'm saying. That's a road we'd have to cross and see how they come to. A lot of things have to happen before that decision gets made, and there are so many variables in that mix that it would be very hard to make a bet right now as Thank to you, how Joe. it's going to turn out, Joe. Uh, one thing, John, that he mentioned about uh, the Giants receivers, um, look at it this way. With Eli doing what he's doing right now, looking so good, the offensive line looking so good, we know Barkley's going to run the ball a lot. We know Barkley's going to catch the ball a lot. We know Ingram's going to catch the ball a lot. We know Sterling Shepard's going to catch the ball a lot, even while Tate could be on the shelf. Here's the thing, okay? If the line is what we think it is, all right, I'm going to 
put a little yellow caution flag out because they haven't played any games yet. But if the line is what we think it is, not only does Eli have better protection and more time, it means he can pick out the most favorable target on a particular play instead of necessarily having to force the ball or go to the first target that's open or for that matter settle for the safe target which is the check down that's a ripple effect of the offensive line the second ripple effect of the offensive line is and by the way and i'll just want to add to that real quick paul before you get to number sure. two you know eli when he faces a lot of pressure sometimes there'll be plays where maybe he'll feel pressure when it's not there too and then you'll get an unnecessary check down because he doesn't have confidence in the offensive line to do the job. That's all I wanted to add. That should be removed. Yeah, correct. 100%. Second point, if your line holds up like we think it will, that also gives the receivers more time to run their routes and gives them that extra split second to do the fake, the juke, the stick move, whatever it is that they're going to do. It gives them potentially more room to work against the secondary to get open. So when you combine one and two, which are all direct effects of a better protecting offensive line, well, guess what? You have a more successful passing game. And John, I think too many people are underestimating or not understanding the ripple effect of the offensive line. Everybody just thinks, okay, Eli will get sacked less. Maybe Saquon Barkley will get more yardage because he can run better. No, no, no. There is a direct ripple effect on the advantages that your passing game will have. And it goes all the way down to the the effects on the receivers. And I, I think a lot of people are just ignoring that. When you asked Evan Ingram yesterday about, and me and you asked the first four questions of the presser, and he gave great answers to all four, the question you asked was whether or not you thought Eli looked sharper with a better arm. Before he even answered that part of the question, what did he say? Well, look how well the offensive line's playing in front of him. No question about it. First thing out of his mouth. First thing out of his Unsolicited. mouth. Unsolicited. Unsolicited. And that goes directly to the point that I've tried to make. 201-939-4513. I have a couple tweets already with your predictions. We'll get to them, but I got a full bank of calls, so we got to do that. Let's go to CJ in the Bronx. He's up next. CJ, Good afternoon, guys. What up? Hello. Um, I'm calling because I have three things. One, I love I love the podcast. I love hearing you guys. I love, even like the in the huddle. Thank you. Even when it had Peter Strager. <laughs> Two. I I I'm surprised we're not talking more about the right tackle battle with Chad Wheeler and um, Remmers. Well, CJ, CJ, honestly, do you, do you know why we're not? It's been a pretty why? it's it's been a pretty one sided battle. Remmers is doing that well. That's that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a real uh, yeah. Good thing. I, in my in my opinion, and Paul, I, we haven't even talked about this. So I want to get yours. I think Remmers has been significantly better, and that's him going against the ones and Wheeler going against the twos. Correct. There's there's really right. no point to even discuss that further. It's good to hear. Sometimes I haven't heard anything about the center battle either. We want to talk about the offensive line, and we're not getting much news about the offensive line besides this. But you guys just said ten seconds ago. And, and what do they tell you? What do they tell you? The more yeah, that you, the more that you talk about an offensive line, the worse it probably is. The less you hear about them, the better they probably are. And CJ, I'll say about the center battle: Halapio's getting more work with the ones than Pulley. One thing that Hal Hunter said yesterday was they're trying to get Pulley 
two sessions with the ones during each practice, Correct. get them a little bit of a run. And they're different types of players. This is how, how Hunter kind of... How Hunter, I thought, was really good in his media availability yesterday. And he really describes CJ well, how the guys are different. Jalapio's the more powerful guy, more physically gifted. Poli's more the cerebral guy, uses technique and positioning. You know, and that's kind of how they're different. So I think because Jalapio's the more physical player, I think he has the leg up. But I think they have a lot of trust in Spencer Poli, where if they have to put him in there to play, they'll be very happy to do it. It's an open battle. Hallander said is going to go throughout the entire preseason. I look forward to seeing what's happening. But simply based on reps, I think right now Hallapio is probably a little bit ahead of Pulley. I agree with that. I, I think Hal was saying it was very likely that after three preseason games, he said three. Decision. Okay, yeah. he said three. Yeah. My bad. But but those traits, to me, and I've seen it, so it's not like I'm pulling this out of thin air. The more boxier, powerful guy is more of the run blocker. And the technique guy in pulley is actually the better pass protector. Unless you're dealing with a power rush, in which case you might want to have the heavier guy. Well, understood. And that right. depends on your matchup. Correct. I'm just talking about the traits and the skills and the advantages that each guy would pose over the other guy. Uh, they really are like apples and oranges. They're a little bit of a different style of center. Um, and I said yesterday on the show, John, I know you weren't here. I told Lance, I said, the thing about Pulley is he's played more games as a starting center in the NFL than Jalapio has, Man, obviously. Don't even say center. Just started a lot yeah. more. I mean, how many games has Jalapio started? Three? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so for me, for me, and I looked at the body of work that Pulley put on tape during the second half of last season, and I was very pleased with it. So for me, it's kind of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I didn't think his spot was broken. So that was not a position on the offensive line that I was really yearning to upgrade. But Jalapio, by the way, eight career starts. I apologize. He actually started six games in 2017, yeah, which I did not had remember. A whole 16 game starting course, season with the Chargers. I, just, I don't want to shortchange Jalapio. I don't want to shortchange. Sure, him. sure. So in any event, um, I, I've I've made my preference known, but it's strictly because of what I have seen. Eyewitness accounts. Pulley played well the second half of last season. Right. That's sweet. Anything else, CJ? Oh, I hope you guys are right about the defense this year. I hope we don't see multiple secondary guys as it's third and long. Let's hope our D-line does what it does because 33 years old, I've been spoiled from Keith Hampton, Michael Strahan, I see. I've been spoiled, and it's been a real bad couple of years, and we need more. <sighs> Sounds good, CJ. <laughs> I understand. Pre appreciate Have the call, one. my friend. Good stuff. By the way, he just mentioned this, and I got to bring it up. And I know, I know it's a stupid list online, and they're trying to troll for attention, and I shouldn't bring it up, but uh -oh. it annoyed me. Uh oh. And actually, our buddy Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus is one that retweeted it and also commented how ridiculous it was. Yes. Yahoo Sports uh, posted a list. Yeah. The most tortured NFL fan bases. They had the Giants at number one. <laughs> it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Wow. Besides the, by the way, and I went and I counted. Besides the Patriots, no team has won or gone to more Super Bowls than the Giants in the past 12 seasons. But the Giants are number one. Well, what the hell are you guys doing? Really? I have no response. <laughs> I mean, how about the Raiders? How are the Giants more tortured than the frickin' Raiders? Uh, John? The team's literally moving. They're leaving their fans. How are they not number one? 
last year, last year, and if I'm, I, I don't want to be wrong on this, but last year we went to Detroit for a preseason game. And if you remember, we were in the booth before the pregame show. And I said, John, look at that banner up there. And it was the last Detroit Lions, uh, I guess their last division title was like 1936 or something like that. And I said, my goodness, uh, I'm surprised the malls haven't eaten it yeah, yet. There are teams that haven't won a playoff <laughs> game in like 15 years. I mean, it's it was just something that I saw and I'm like, this might be this. You know, look, I, I get it. People put up stuff to get attention and to get clicks, but it was just one of the literally. And it's Twitter, so that's saying something. Woo! It was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Clickbait alert. Clickbait alert. Woo, 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 woo. Chris in Houston, Texas is up next. Hey, Chris. Gentlemen, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Hello. Uh, I'll get to my bold prediction and and my question in a second. But, John, I just listened to you guys, you, Paul, you guys, uh, Big Blue Kickoff and, and Big Blue You. That's all, because there's just so much garbage out there. What you were just saying about Giants fans being tortured, I agree with you. Um, but at any rate, my bold prediction, I don't think eight wins is a bold prediction. That's actually my expectation if I had money on it. Yeah, Chris, I agree. Um, I, I was going to say that after Joe hung up, but I didn't I didn't even write it down. Eight wins is not a bold prediction. No, not at all. That's, right, there's nothing bold right, about uh, that. Unless you unless unless you believe in all the clickbait that's out there, Vegas says they're six and a half, right for the over under. Yeah, but even one and a half wins off of the over under. That's not that far. That's not bold. But you know what? And I'm digressing here. Maybe Giants fans are the most tortured fans in the league because they've got to read all the garbage all right, that's enough, being put out enough. there. Enough. Enough. Get. Are you done now? Yes, I'm done. Okay. Thank you. Let's go, Chris. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so bold for me this season. I'll say nine wins. Um, that that's going to be my bold. But my, my question to you is, I was really curious, I think Golden Tate, and, and I'm really, like you guys, I'm sure, really disappointed what happened with him with this uh, pending suspension. The the What I read was, and correct me if I'm wrong, if it is upheld, which I believe it will, he might lose out on around $7 million on next year's salary. Uh, will that be counted against the salary cap next year? Or if that's upheld as well, that frees up seven plus million dollars. I was curious about that. I, 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 Chris, that's a really good question. I have not asked anybody here or looked at the details of the contract myself. Do you know what provision in the contract cost him that money? Is it a games played thing? Is it incentives? What what takes that money away? I, I have no idea. I was just curious, just because yeah, you know, as optimistic as I am for this season. I'm very, very excited about the potential cap space that we have for next season. That's why, you know, getting getting out of here, 8-8, eight, 9-7, eight, and, and then looking right. forward to next year with that cap space, you know, the brighter, brighter sunshine is on the horizon. Chris, you know, that that's a business question for another day, but I will say this. Given what the Giants have in guaranteed numbers going into the 2020 season, as you've probably no doubt heard over the last few months, they are actually in very good shape cap-wise, given what they are on the books for now. So regardless of whether or not there is money that could come off, they are in good shape even if it stays. So I wouldn't necessarily be you know, losing sleep over this at all. Okay. 
All right, well, I'll definitely touch base with you before we uh, kick off the season, but I was just curious about that. Thanks everything, uh, for everything you guys do. Appreciate I appreciate it. that, Chris. Thank you, and I have your nine wins written down here. Yeah, I had heard in passing something about that, too, with the money. I don't know what the details are on that. I'm pretty good with contract stuff, but I just did a quick Google search. I don't see any stories written specifically about you know where that money would, would come out of because it just seems weird to me that that much money could be involved in a losing four games. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So, I'm, honestly, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, somebody had called up yesterday's show and said that they had thought that the suspension would trigger his loss of whatever guarantees he was supposed to get next season. Well, but the, I don't, would I the don't, money stay there? But it again, would not you know be? what? We're yep. better not yep. to talk about this point, because we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. contractual law. It's a good point. And it's best that we don't even discuss it. But the yes. point has been asked of us. We're going to simply tell you we don't know. Yes. And don't worry about the Giants cap situation in the 2020 offseason now. Because right it's now good. it's already good. If you have more money, is it better? Sure. But don't let that be the uh, the you know thrust of what your thoughts are at this point in the 2019 offseason, right before the 2019 season begins. Let's go back to our busy phones. You have a couple open lines, folks. Get in with your bold predictions. Rob in Florida has his. What's up, Robbie? Hi. How you doing, guys? We're great, Rob. What's up? Here's my bold prediction for you. In the first four games of this year's season, the Giants will use more two and three tight end sets than three wide receiver sets. That that is actually a very bold prediction. I like that. Wow, yeah, that's certainly out of left field. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you, uh, I wouldn't argue with you there. When you think about the nature of the roster right now, the the wide receiver hits that we've taken, and the up and coming tight ends that we've got going on, I could see them using Conrad and Ingram and you know either Simonson or. Um, the other tight end in well, uh, three tight end sets. First thing you got to figure out is will they keep a fullback? That will have a dramatic impact on if they would even consider using a three tight end set. Does Elijah Penny, who right now I believe, John, isn't he really classified as the only fullback on the 90? That's correct. And I know we had kind of talked about whether or not they could use Rod Smith in that role. They have not. No. So Elijah Penny's it at that spot. So once that's determined maybe your bold prediction takes on a different light. Now, I will say this. I happen to agree with Rob, and I said this last week when we talked about the the potential looming Golden Tate suspension. Hopefully, by the way, you get word on that appeal and everything sooner rather than later. There is no timeline on it, by the way. But I, I think the way the team deals with that, Paul, quite honestly, is you use more 12 personnel, and you don't put three wide receivers out there. You turn it into a, you know, you, you run your... First, second down plays out of big personnel. And you can pass out of those on play action, things like that. So I'm with Rob on the theme of his idea. It's just that, uh, you know, even the teams that use 11 personnel the least still run it probably more than 50% of the time. So that would be a real big swing the other way, Rob, but I like where you're going with it. (laughs) All right. Good luck with the season, guys. Hey, Thank thank you, Rob. Good stuff. Appreciate the call. You know, I'll tell you something else that's interesting, too. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, the jumbo package and short yardage and goal line situations. 
I haven't really seen them do anything like that. You mean like with an extra offensive lineman? Yeah. No, I haven't, haven't seen either. it. Haven't then seen again, it. Then again, they haven't really run nine on seven full speed no, goal and, line and, either. So well, we know that the goal line head banging stuff is out anyway. Yeah, so, I think that's gonna have to be something you look for in preseason games. And we may not even see it in preseason. We may only see it once the regular season starts. It'll be interesting to see if it does show up. It is something that I've always favored, but maybe they will, maybe they won't. Charlie in Portland, Maine. Every call Charlie has contains a bold prediction, whether he <laughs> likes to admit it or not. Hi, Charlie. Good line, John. Charlie, pick up your phone. What are you, like, yelling from across the room? Yes. Charlie. Charlie going once. Charlie going twice. Hello. And Charlie, call back. Your phone line stinks. <laughs> bold prediction. I will not take him when he comes back on the line. I, I I think I think his string and paper cup might have yeah, been smashed in half when, I don't know he, what when he made that call. I think he had, maybe he actually had the tinfoil hat on. He was trying to talk into it, so it wasn't getting to the phone line. <laughs> okay. 201-939-4513. Charlie, I kid. Uh, you know I love you, buddy. Let's go to Lenin, Columbia, oh, Maryland. He's up next. Hey, Len. Hey, guys. How you doing? I'm Hi. great, Len. Good to hear from you. How are you doing? Uh, all right, here's my here's my bold prediction, and then we'll get into wins. It's a little different bold prediction, but listen, I told you guys back in the, in early February that only four of the nine offensive linemen that finished the season with the Giants, eight on the regular roster on the 53 and one on IR, PO, uh, of those nine players, only four of them would be back. And we'll we'll see what happens before this, uh, uh, you know, before the season starts this year. Um, you know, as a fan, um, I, I can't I can't go into any season saying that the Giants are going to be less than eight and eight. I, I just I just I can't bring myself to it. So I'm thinking eight and eight. But the realist in me, guys, when I look at this roster, um, Barkley gets us. You know, Barkley, get, maybe we're, you know, maybe we're 27, 28 best team in the league. I mean, geez, this, this roster is just not that strong. We just need a few more bricks. We need another good draft. I think we got a good one with this one, and we got the transition in place. Somewhere along the line, this is going to take place. You know what transition I'm talking about. Land, land. And I think Dave is doing a, you know, I think he's doing wow. a positive job. I, I, I just think I... I I look at this roster, and let me let me finish off. Although I haven't heard much from you guys about what I've said, but let me let me propose a trade. I'm calling Buffalo today, and I'm offering either Pulley or Jalapio, whichever one brings me the higher draft choice. And it's probably going to be it would probably be at most about a seven. Um, it would be a seven. Um, I'd offer that. They lost their starting center. Who they were bringing in, and and listen, if we can't get a draft choice for either one of those guys, if we can't get a seven for either one, we're we're in deeper trouble than we think we are. I'm sorry, Paul. Go ahead. No, that's okay. That's okay, Len. Um, I, I think let Paul and I react to your first point because and okay and and okay. I'll and I'll react this way. Okay. La- last year, this team was the 27th or 28th best team in the league. I mean, they they drafted sixth, right? So that's puts them around 26th, right? right? right. Give or take. I think even with losing Odell, Len, I think the improvement in the offensive line offsets that to an extent. And, yeah, the defense is problematic, but I feel like 
having been in the second in the same system for a second time. Right. I, I think this. And by the way, if you look at the point differential, I think this was really more of a six-win team than a five-win team last year, just based on point differential. Okay. I think this team has made incremental improvements. If this team doesn't win seven this year, I would be disappointed. Okay, can I can I respond? Of course, go ahead. Is that, yeah, okay, um, I, I I know you know what I've said in the past about Odell. I've said this in the past. O, Odell helps you win four more games. Four? I I just don't see I just don't see the kinds of wide I don't see the wide receivers on this roster that can make up what we're going to lose. From Odell, I mean, and I'm not arguing with the reasons why he got traded, anything like that. He's not there. Well, Lane, Lane, how about this? Lane, Lane. How about that's this? The, Paul, that's real the quick. important thing, and I think that's going to hold us back significantly. All right, Len, Len, how John about this, Len? Real fast, Len, 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 real fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real fast on Odell. It doesn't have to be one guy that makes up for him, though. You have Golden Tate, who let's say is going to give you what, seventy percent of the production. Is that fair? Seventy percent, give or take. I okay, think. No. I think the increased usage of Evan Ingram, and we saw it in the final four games last year when Odell wasn't on the field. He literally right. doubled his production. I think that will cut into that other 30%. Now, your point's going to be, and it's a fair one, that those guys don't offer the big explosive plays that Odell does. Sure. That is an yeah. absolutely fair point. I will not argue with it. And that's why I think, and I brought this up a lot, you know me, I'm all about big plays. You need big plays to score points in this league. Can the okay. Giants get enough big plays through the air this year to make the offense consistent enough? And I think that is a fair question heading into this John, season. John, we spent okay. five minutes earlier in this show talking about the offensive line's impact on Eli and yeah. also the receivers. Len, you've obviously not been listening to that part of the show because you've totally discounted that. No, I, I did. I've been listening to the whole show, Paul. Can, can I respond to the, Evan, to the Evan Ingram comment, John? Absolutely. Uh, we, got, we got time for that? Yeah, yeah, real quick. You know, we've been saying, we've been expecting Evan Ingram. This, we're going into our third season, and we've been expecting Evan Ingram to make a difference. I'm going into the third difference. Show me, Evan. That's fair. Show me. That's fair. I, I get a feeling. I'm just starting to get a feeling about Evan Ingram that three years from now we're going to be talking about now what was the best – you know, we're going to be arguing about what the best position was for Evan Ingram. I mean, we keep – you know, we can't play wide receiver, shouldn't play wide receiver, can't play tight end because he can't block. Uh, you know, he's going to go up to see – how many times have we seen him go up to see him and catch a, a long pass? And take it to the house. I when, mean, we're, we're still waiting for him. you got to protect your quarterback to call, throw the deep it. one up the seam. And by the way, let me say this. If Evan Ingram can stay healthy, he's going to be a good receiver. The question is, can he stay healthy? That, to me, is the biggest question for Ingram, whether or not he can stay on the field. Paul, if he's on the field he's and, and you throw to him, he's going to make plays through the air. Well, he significantly reduced his drops last season. Correct. And did a really, really, really good job working on that. And I and I give him a lot of credit for it. But can he stay healthy? Well, he said the other day that, you know, his number one goal this year is to play 16. And, yeah, and if Let's he, see. And if he does, he's going to be productive. Look, I have no problem with Len doubting that Ingram will be healthy enough to produce at the level that he expects. 100%. I, that's a fair question very to fair, ask, very and, and, and I don't blame you for being nervous about that. And, I, and by the way, I am too, okay? I'm, I'm sure everybody in this organization would like to see Evan Ingram produce as the number one pick they drafted. Absolutely. Who would, who would not? Because he has it in him. But, but at the same time, 
Len is ignoring all of the other factors that we have discussed. Obviously, the improvement in Barkley and how they're going to use him. We've, we've addressed the offensive line situation. Eli's throwing the ball better than he has in years. The, the entire passing game is going to be uplifted by what the offensive line does. He, he's, he's leaving all of those factors out and simply saying, okay, we're not sure about Ingram. Beckham's not here. Can't make enough big plays. Uh-oh, doom and gloom. Len, that is so short-sighted. I'm really shocked, especially from a guy who says he's been rooting for the Giants since the late 50s and 60s. Man, you have seen some bad rosters in your Giant fandom. You know you've seen some bad rosters. The the plane that flew overhead the Meadowlands told you about all the years that you saw bad rosters, okay? This roster does not look or smell like anything that you had to go through during those down years. Now, I'm sorry, Lane. That's that's way out of line. I will say this. If Tate misses the first four games and something happens to Shepard in addition to the thumb and they're missing both their top two wide receivers. That's a different story. I don't care who your offensive line is. Different story. That's a problem. Different story. Fair but, enough. But right now, we have every reason to believe that Shepard's going to be there. 100%. Even if Tate's not. Yeah. And, if I and, may, and, if, and if you have Shepard, Ingram, and Barkley... That's Look, enough. You you need Tate to be uh, elite in that skill position or, or better in that skill position category. But those three guys are enough. Yeah. Uh, uh, enough to be adequate. I, I will add one thing and one thing only that actually backs somewhat what Len was saying. I believe the Giants are one more offseason away. Three-step three level plan. It was clean out. It was improve. And then third step was reinforce. I believe that next year, with one more solid Dave Gettleman offseason, next year you won't be talking about can the Giants possibly sniff and make a playoff spot and steal one from somebody. You'll be talking about are the Giants division champs and what seed might they be. I really believe that. that but they're not there yet. That should be the goal, but it also depends on what's going on at the quarterback position too. If Daniel Jones is playing in his first year, then all of a sudden, who knows with a rookie quarterback. But I agree. Assuming everything else stays the way it's going to be, and I have no idea what it's going to look like, I would assume Jones is going to be involved in some way, shape, or form. Maybe he's not. Who knows? That was the goal. To me, the goal this year and now, and now, this is me, the organization and the players and the coaches, and I might get yelled at for this, they're, they're thinking playoffs. For me personally, 500 would be great. I'd be very happy with that. But... The expectations in the building are a lot higher. I can guarantee you that. But that, to me, to your point, is the incremental process we're talking about. 201-939-4513. Let's see if Charlie got the tinfoil hat off. Hey, Charlie. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, he fixed the battery in his phone. (laughs) Yes, I did. I had to walk away for a minute. Hey, look, these these are my predictions, okay? There's multiple ones. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think think, uh, Wesley's going to make the 53. I think Avery Moss is going to make the 53. I think we're going to get 50-plus sacks this year. Whoa, whoa, 50? Yep. Okay. And Eli Manning is going to be an MVP this year. Whether he gets the MVP, he's going to be one of the guys they're going to be talking about. Okay, how about this, Charlie? Charlie, how about this? He he will get a vote on on the MVP ballot. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, or he'll be the, you know, he'll be one, two, or three for the MVP. 
So we're going to go 11 and 5. It's hard to say that with Barkley on the team. Even if the Giants win a division title and win 11 games. Paul, just let him go. He's going to beat out Barkley? Just let him go. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Sorry. Go. Keep going. Keep going. I'm telling you, he's going to have a year this year that's going to blow everyone's mind. Eli's going to take us to the playoffs. We're going to be 11 and 5. And the Super Bowl is going to be Cleveland against the New York Giants. You want bold? I'm giving you bold. Okay, Charlie. And, and yeah, I, go, ahead. go ahead. Finish up. Finish up. It's okay. You have one okay, more. I have one more. This is it. Uh, well, 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 well. It could it be that Will Beatty's going on to the Hall of Fame, right? He just said it. Oh god. He will be on the 53 in New York. I don't oh, think okay. it'll be the Giants, but I think it'll be on the New York Jets. Okay. Charlie, I'll send the guys over with the straight jacket. At least he didn't put Thanks, him in pal. Canton because I thought that's where he was going. I don't even know where to start on that. 50 sacks for the defense? Just, uh, that 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 one, to me, is the most outrageous. <laughs> Although I really believe if the Giants do wind up double-digit wins and, and become you know division champion and, and obviously a playoff team, mm-hmm. you'd have to put your money on Barkley being the guy who drives that bus, wouldn't you, John? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. So, anyway. Oh, boy. I need another... Jimmy, 20 seconds, I think, to recoup. Jimmy in Kings Park will bring us back to reality. Hi, Jimmy. <laughs> hey, guys. How are you this afternoon? We're great. Thank you for calling. What's hi. up? Okay. Hi. Uh, I, before I give my bold prediction, I do want to give kudos to two people. Uh, I've been listening to the show for three or four years now. And uh, Paul Dottino, when I first started listening to the show, he wanted Brandon Sheriff. He was an all-pro. He wanted Conklin. He was an all-pro. And he wanted uh, uh, Saquon Barkley. Obviously, he was an all-pro. Now, in in, so, in fairness, and I love Paul, Conklin's fifth-year option was not picked up. So that is a knock on that him. I do, but that overall, I Paul's but correct. He had a knee injury, and they got three very good years out of the guy. And, uh, you know, he was a walk-on. And I think all those walk-ons have a chip on their shoulder. So I will give uh, Paul Bettino kudos for those three picks. Uh, I'm also going to get charged from Portland, Maine. He's been saying from day one that the offensive line has been bad, and I think the one, the main reason why the Giants have been bad the last few years is because of the offensive line. So I will give him uh, props for that. Uh, in terms of my prediction, I'm going to say nine and seven, and uh, I will say that specifically for this reason. Although Daniel Jones is not playing this year, we got two first-round picks out of the draft. Three. We got Gabriel Peppers, who was a first-rounder. We got Kevin Zeitler, a first-rounder. And you got Golden Tate, who was another first-rounder. There might be somebody else in there, but that's, I have to believe that with five first-round draft picks added to this team, uh, plus these young cornerbacks that we got in the second, third, and fourth round, I have a strange feeling out of the four guys that we got, we got a hit on two out of four of those guys. And for that reason alone, I think – Nine and seven is definitely feasible. Uh, and also, um, the one thing I do want to add to this, if you guys can please remind the 20-year-old kids and the 30-year-old, the 30-year-old young men that all the talk about Eli Manning having a weak arm, please remind them that Chad Pennington, he beat Peyton Manning in the playoffs. Yeah. I believe the score was... 41 
to nothing. All right, Jimmy, hold on, though. I got to stop you right there because you said a lot of things that made sense, but here's the difference there. That Jets defense, that Rex Ryan Jets defense was actually one of the top five in the league. They were very dominant, and they knew exactly what they were doing. It was ground and pound on offense, and it was a terrific uh, Rex Ryan-oriented defense. Was that Thomas Jones, the running back that year uh, for the Jets? I think it was, right? I don't remember if he was. It might have been, yeah. been him at that point. My, but so, so this Giants team is not at all built in any way, shape, or form similarly to what that Jets team put on the field that year. So that's you don't not, go there. Yeah, please, please don't misunderstand me, Paul. I'm just saying that Eli Manning, he is a Manning, for God's sakes. He has two Super Bowl victories under his belt. God. He's smart. He knows what he's doing. Chad Pennington, don't, you can't even compare the two people's arms. And no matter how you slice it and dice it, Chad Pennington, I don't know if he put up all 41 points, but by golly, the final score in that playoff game was forty-one to nothing. I could be wrong, but I, it was it was it was a big number. Thank you, Jimmy. And, and, and I have a feeling. I feel. I have a feeling the Giants can do well with Eli Manning. Have a great day. You too, buddy. Appreciate the call. Good stuff. Well, he doesn't have to sell me on Eli. That's for sure. You know how I feel it's about time that guy. For tweets. Let's Giants. I got two bold predictions on Twitter, Paul. I'm gonna Go. see if any more came in, but I'll read Go. these first. And we're running out of time. Yeah, I know we are. That's why I want to get to them quick. Yep. Um, at Toby Gleesh. Tate will have 1,000-plus yards this year despite missing the first four games. That's bold. I think so, yeah. I mean, he's done it three times in his career, but yeah. to do it in 12. That'd be something. Woo. At book D2, he's got four here. Manning will be sacked fewer than 25 times. I like that one. I don't know that that's so bold because, to be honest with you, I'm thinking it'll probably be between 24 and 27, which is kind of in the mid-20s. Let me put it this way. Less than 25 would be a big change from the last three or four years. Well, 47 so last year. That's that would why, be a welcome development. That's but why I qualified as bold. In, in most of Eli's years, when they've had an adequate line, the number has been in the mid-20s. True. We'll see how it goes. But I, I think it's good that somebody brought that up as just a point that's of fine. discussion. Okay. okay. Evan Ingram will play 12 games this season. He had that exactly. Um, it's been, what, 11 and 15 in his first two years, This right? is too broad for me, but Zimenez, five to eight sacks. For both well, predictions, I prefer a more firm number. Folks. Yeah, you've got to come up with an actual yeah. number. I don't but like I, the range. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had six or seven. And this, really is, this is generic. Offensive efficiency improves by 30% thanks to more use of 12 personnel. I don't know how I measure that. But well, that I think maybe he one. means by points, but, you know, it's pretty hard when you consider that they led the NFC East in points scored last year, and he wants to take it up another 30%. That's asking a lot. Yeah, 30% um, is a lot. That's, that's, that's a big number. All right. Know. Anyway, if they scored as many points as they did last year, John, how about this one? I think they got to do better than that. I, I suspect that the defense will be enough improved that, you know, that could result in three or four more wins. Uh, three they, or four. They, they, three they or lost four five games lot. last year by three points or less. Yeah, I know, but every five. How many games did they win by three points or less? I believe it was, were they two and two, five? Two, two or three, five? right? So if that evens out. Or was out, it three and five? If, it, let, let's say it's even three and five. You want to even that out to 500, it's one win. Yeah, all right. You know what I mean? All right. All right. I, I, anyway, 30, 30%'s a lot. Final call. Yeah, 30% is a lot. Final call of the show is Drain Atlanta, who will wrap us up. Hey, Dre. Hey, what's going on, John? Hey, Pete, how's it going? Hey. Long time no here. Sure. Yeah, Dre, we're good. Uh, we're a little bit late here, Dre. If you could put the fast forward on this, I'd appreciate it. Thank I'll you, sir. Real quick, and I'm keeping on the defensive side. Yep. Uh, uh, Carter's going to have nine sacks. Golden's going to have 14 sacks. 
and O'Shea Zimenez is going to have seven and a half sacks. That's my bold prediction. How many for Golden? Fourteen, you said? Fourteen for Golden. And and Zimenez, how many? Zimenez is going to be uh, either six or seven and a half sacks. Seven and a half. All right, there we go. That's good. Thank you, Dre. Boy, uh, Betcher just got done talking about Golden today, and he said that Marcus Golden is uh, primed to have a terrific year because he's always trying to do so. And coming off the knee uh, ACL surgery last year, as we all know, it usually takes two years for a guy to max out following that that particular injury. Uh, look, he had 12 and a half in 2016. To get 14 this year would be Herculean. If Betcher gets to the end of the year and had he has 30 and a half combined sacks oh, he's from gonna Carter, Zimenez, and jacks, Golden, right? he, we're going we're gonna to have like an ice cream party in the cafeteria. <laughs> a little pizza. Maybe get a clown in here. Balloon animals. A whole carnival. Yeah, we might have a carnival. Yeah. Good yeah, stuff, Paulie. That'd be great. Yeah, it was a fun show, John. And by the way, I got to bring up Mark in Chicago had given us a bold prediction last week. I'll add it to the list. Lorenzo yes. Carter, 10 and a half sacks. So. Guy had four last year, and I think he's a heck of a lot better, and, right. and they were talking about him again in the presser today, but that's a lot. Here you go, folks. They're all on the pin, and we'll add more as we go along in the offseason. We can call in and give them at any time. So those are our bold predictions for today's show. Thank you for being a part of it. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. Today's Friday, I believe, right? Yes. So no show Saturday or Sunday. We'll be back on Monday at 1 with another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. We'll see you then. Adios.